Hello everyone, I'm Chris Dauphin, your TSEA Communications Director. Welcome to the Ask TSEA video podcast, our monthly show where state employees ask the questions and TSEA provides the answers. We're excited to begin, but first we want to remind you to please subscribe to our Ask TSEA YouTube channel and follow us on our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TSEA Online. All right, so thanks for tuning in. Let's get into it. Welcome to Ask TSEA, episode two. And uh, to get today, we have with us uh, a couple of different staff members from last week. Um, you want to introduce yourselves? I'm Terry Carroll. I'm the Government Affairs Director. Randy Stamps, Executive Director. And that would make me Jonathan Stevens, Staff Attorney. <laughs> Thanks for being here, guys. And like we said on the last episode, we're going to switch uh, staff members out um, for the different episodes based on the questions that we receive and the discussion we want to have. Um, but we'll just jump right into it. A uh, quick reminder, uh, at the beginning, I wanted to uh, let everyone know we've had some submissions for some personal matters uh, come through the Ask TSEA inbox. And I wanted to let everybody know that's probably not the best way to get a hold of us in a timely fashion. That, that inbox isn't uh, checked as often as our info uh, line. So if you have an urgent matter, I would say call us at 615-256-4533 or 1-800-251-8732, which is TSEA, or email us at info at tseaonline.org. That's the uh, best way to get in touch with us. Um, and I would hate for someone to uh, miss a deadline or something because they submitted through Ask TSEA and we didn't check that inbox. So worst case, and you have to send it to Ask TSEA, and that's the only way you know how to reach us, then you know, hopefully we can get to it in time. But Otherwise, send it to those other addresses. Um, it's been a busy month. Uh, this Friday, uh, Randy uh, was out, was invited personally by the commissioner of DCS out to Memphis to uh, sit in on an announcement for employees. Uh, what was the announcement? Uh, well, they're starting a pilot program where they're going to be combining um, into just CPS investigations and assessments under one division. So. It, it's a much more broader than that. Uh, Memphis is one of their largest regions, so they're going to be piloted in there first. Uh, I'm very excited about it. Uh, the turnout was tremendous. I think our state employees and our TSEA members were there. were excited about it too. One of the things it's going to try to do is speed up some of the process of hearing some of the con uh, complaints that come in to DCS and deal with them a little bit more quickly, especially if they're not uh, substantive. And dismissing them so they can get them off the books. Uh, they are going to be adding staff, uh, both uh, case managers and some supervisors, so we're excited about that aspect of it too. Um, but most of all, we're excited that the commissioner saw the value of TSEA being present for a major announcement. So once the program works through Shelby County, and in fact she gave good notice too, something else we appreciate, the program won't go into effect until January, and then they hope to add a rural district next as a pilot program. So, um, but these changes will eventually go statewide once they work out the kinks uh, through the pilot program. There's a specific email for people sending uh, questions and uh, also suggestions of how to make the plan even better. So we hope to have the actual PowerPoint that was used available to our members soon. Okay. Um, again, it was an impressive day. Uh, they had a morning and afternoon session so that everybody had a chance to come in attend and again it was favorably received and uh, good suggestions were made on the front end about how they can make the pilot program even better 
Well, it was great that uh, we, were, we were invited out to that. And I think they're also um, using this pilot program to monitor caseloads and some other things. And so once those kinks get all worked out, do they anticipate, do they tell us when they anticipate it might implement further uh, at all? Do they talk about that at all? As far as the pilot program? Yeah, how long it might take. Oh, uh, it's going to take from January through February. There's going to be a review process in March uh, to try to go ahead and make any changes. So, but the biggest impact of that will be coming in January. <clears throat> and, and folks, there's new teams created. They'll be able to go and have a discussion with them uh, next month um, to decide what teams they may want to be on. Folks are not going to have to reapply. No positions are being eliminated. So it's uh, thus far it's been all good news and again we appreciate commissioner nichols for including mm -hmm. us she stated herself that she sees the value mm -hmm. of tsea being present on the front end of big changes yeah it's great information uh thank you commissioner this month we also had some other big news uh, representative bill dunn um announced that he wouldn't be seeking re-election um and bill dunn's been a good friend of state employees for many years he's also been willing to carry beer bills to amend the team act since mm -hmm. then in fact He's recently um, joined our effort to get good clarification about the burden of proof, uh, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit later. But we will miss him greatly. Um, he has been a big supporter of state employees. He's always been upfront with his concerns on any legislation we may have, but he's worked very well with us over the last many years. Terry? Yeah. So he told me a story that I that I, I love to repeat to anybody that would listen here lately is uh, he actually held the legislation, the team bill, in the committee because uh, there were several different amendments that he felt like needed to be heard. So despite being pressured to go on and push the bill that data to a vote because they could have passed it as it was, he actually held the bill and made them listen to the amendments of which, how many were put on in the end? Seven? I believe so. Seven amendments were added yeah. in the end due to him you know, is holding that up for us. Yeah, that's that's fantastic that we have friends like that. We've worked hard mm -hmm. to have those relationships up on the hill, um, and we'll certainly miss Representative Dunn. Um, uh, other reminders: we've got open enrollment that starts today. We're shooting this on September 30th. By the time you see it, it may be a couple of days in. But as a reminder, those dates for the 2020 open enrollment for state and higher education employees is September 30th through October 11th, which ends at 4.30 p.m. Central on October 11th. And then for retirees, your dates are September 30th through October 25th, also ends at 4.30 p.m. Central. Uh, if you have any questions about your decisions or uh, you just want to talk about um, your options, you can call our compensation and benefits staff uh, by emailing Gail Robb, which is Gail, G-A-Y-L-E dot R-O-B-B at T-S-E-A online dot org. Or you can call Gail at 615-256-4533 or 1-800-251-8732. Um, these dates will also be listed in your coworker, which we just finished and will be, if you haven't received it already, you'll be receiving it soon. Um, and something to note about the coworker and this uh, particular uh, paper we've got a large poster insert which we've included and so if you open to the middle of the paper you can pull that out and bring it to your work site and hang it up on your bulletin board if you're comfortable uh, doing that and if you'd like to help promote TSEA on the back is uh, we printed out uh, the statute which allows you to post uh, literature in your workplace 
And if you have any questions about that, you can call us. Um, but again, look for that when you get your paper, and uh, we'd love to see those uh, posters up in the work sites. Um, and uh, the other thing that's going on is we have a recruitment campaign happening right now. Now, the field is out. They've got these big giveaways. They've been going to the uh, higher ed benefits fairs, and uh, you can check your email uh, to find out where we're at next. And if you want to sign up for our email, go to our website, tseaonline.org. And on the right-hand side of the homepage, you'll see a, uh, a little uh, uh, picture that says, click here to receive emails from TSEA. And if you'd like to join TSEA, you just go to tseaonline.org slash join TSEA. Try to make that one easy. Okay, so um, uh, one other thing about the recruitment campaign. If you recruit a member or if you are recruited between September 1st and December 1st, you'll be entered into our grand prize, which is a prize worth valued at $500. So that's exciting. Uh, we've done this a few years in a row. So get out there, recruit, and you may win something uh, pretty cool. All right. Let's move on. Uh, something we wanted to talk about. We've got this last session. We uh, had some legislation, which was a part of our legislative agenda, that was filed um, concerning the burden of proof. And we've had some conversation about that. And, and it's sort of a, 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 a difficult concept uh, to sort of explain. And uh, I thought we could take a moment on Ask TSEA and kind of get into burden of proof. Burden of proof, what is it? How did we get here? You know, what's the legislation about? So. Um, Jonathan, do you, do you want to kind of introduce us on the burden of proof? I can certainly introduce us and uh, spend as much time <laughs> as we want. We probably won't spend as much as we could go into there. But it is uh, a concept that we've been dealing with uh, in the TEAM Act for some time. Around the office here and even with legislatures, we talk about the burden of proof, kind of a shorthand. But for the lay public and somebody who's not really been involved in litigation before, it's kind of a kind of an odd concept. Uh, so uh, I thought I'd take a couple of examples before we get to how it affects the TEAM Act uh, in kind of a civil um, uh, arena and then also through the criminal side. If anybody's been involved in a, um, a jury trial, you've seen this and you've heard it and, and, and worked with it. But let's take this garden variety example of a car wreck. We're all leaving on Friday afternoon from TSEA offices and I'm following my good friend and boss, Randy Stamps. And I run into the back of Randy's car. Hmm first reaction is awkward yeah. <laughs> but what has to happen for Randy to be able to sue me and make a recovery and that's where we get into the burden of proof so let's say we go to court and Randy is before the judge and I'm on the other side representing myself because as a lawyer representing myself what could possibly go wrong and Randy says to the judge, I want money from Jonathan Stevens because he ran into my car and damaged it and uh, uh, hurt me. Is that enough to carry the burden of proof? Well, no, it's not. He's going to have to show evidence. Well, how much evidence? And here's how we determine that. I have brought with me today the scales of justice. <laughs> It's not exactly how you see them in a courtroom, but again, I say, if you've been in a court in a, in a trial before, you've seen this. And so what Randy's going to have to do is put on evidence or show evidence to the judge. The question still is, how much evidence? Well, with our scales of justice, we're going to find that out. I've also brought with me today evidence. You didn't know evidence came in a little black bag, but it does. So here's my little black bag before. We've never worked together, right? And so Randy's going to put on some evidence, and he's going to tell the judge, there's a law that says one car shouldn't run into the back of the other. 
there's a piece of evidence for Randy. And he's going to say, Jonathan violated that law and ran into me. Another piece of evidence. And he's going to say, Jonathan didn't have his lights on and his wipers on as you're supposed to. And another piece of evidence. You can see uh, uh, injury, medical expenses, permanent impairment, and just because Randy's a good guy. For my piece of evidence, I'm going to say, but I'm a nice guy, and I'll put a piece of evidence here. So we've got about uh, six to one. Now I'm going to re um, open the scale and see which way it tips. What a surprise. Yeah. Randy wins. Randy wins because he carried the burden of proof by a preponderance of the evidence. Those are all the magic words. Preponderance of the evidence. Some lawyers hundreds of years ago made up that, that saying, more likely than not. That's what we'd call it uh, if we were just talking among our friends. Is it more likely than not going to rain today? Is it more likely than not I'm going to get a raise after I ran into the back of Randy's car? I think we all know the answer there. So the, the, the judge is telling, in this case, the Board of Appeals about the burden of evidence and saying, you have to weigh, theoretically, there's not a scale for the Board of uh, Appeals, how much evidence each side put on. Well, let's take it one step further. Under the TEAM Act, and even going uh, uh, prior to that, the Civil Service Act, the state had to carry the burden of evidence. They had to show more evidence on their side than the employee did. In fact, the employee didn't have to put in any evidence at all. So let's say this is uh, uh, Department of Correction on this side. And this is me on the other side, against, again, um, defending myself. And under the old system, the uh, uh, Department of, what did I say, Correction? Mm -hmm. Let's say they fired me for a time in attendance. I was late to work. I was tardy coming back. Uh, I didn't fill out my time card correctly. They'd have to show all those things in uh, uh, the case. And me, as the employee, didn't have to show anything. That was under the TEAM Act from 2012, when it was enacted, until 2017, when there was a Supreme Court case. Burden of proof, more likely than not, that the uh, employee violated a state law, rule, or policy was on the state. Now, come September of 2017, and the Supreme Court issues a case, Department of Correction versus David Presley. And what the court did was flip that completely. So now the rule is this, the employee must show by a preponderance of evidence, remember, remember more likely than not, that the state um, did not have cause, did not have a reason to fire or, or uh, discipline the employee. If you think of any TV um, uh, crime show you've seen at night, you've probably heard that expression, the defendant in a criminal case is innocent until proven guilty. Well, what's happened here with our uh, new interpretation of the TEAM Act is the employee is guilty until he proves himself innocent. And you might ask, how did this come about? And it's solely because of the Supreme Court case. Interestingly, the Department of Correction nor the Department of Human Resources or any other department went to the um, legislature and said, we need to change this burden of proof from burden on the state 
to burden on the employee. It was only the Supreme Court case that brought it further. And I, th I think, Chris, if I'm right, don't we have some uh, 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 video coverage of some of the Senate hearings in which that was discussed? We do. We have um, <clears throat> one of the clips we have is um, the current Attorney General Herbert Slattery, who used to be at the time of the TMAC negotiations. He was the general counsel for the Haslam administration. We have his quote about during you know the intention of the team act and, and how the uh, order of evidence would uh, was supposed to proceed the complaint the employee must uh, identify the law the rule or the policy that was uh, allegedly violated the party uh, filing the complaint has the initial burden of proof that shifts to the department or state agency after the complainant has made a prima facie case so it shifts there's from our interpretation the intention of the team act or how it would uh, was supposed to burden of proof was supposed to flow during the uh, uh, disciplinary action according to the team act right and and what i have here is the uh, step one appeal form um, provided by the department of human resources and and it says just that this was the one that was put out in 2012 with the team act and it very simply says to file an appeal and start step one of the appeal process the appeal must submit a fully completed step one appeal form uh, the form also goes uh, ahead, such as uh, General Slattery said, specify the rule, law, or policy allegedly violated by the agency. And remember, this is a four-cause um, uh, appeal process. As, as preferred, in service, preferred service employees know, uh, they're not at will. They're not subject to the whim of a supervisor uh, just because they wore the wrong shirt that day. It has to be four-cause. And again, it must be proven that there was cause uh, to discipline that employee. That was the original um, intent. Uh, we want to restore, and I think that's the operative term here, a restoration of what the intent of the, uh, the, the Team Act was at that time. Needless to say, I could talk further, but we'll, we'll leave it at that for now. How are, where are we at with the legislation, Terry? Well, uh, we had a lot of success in the House. So we're actually in calendar and rules, which is the next step before it would go to the full floor. And uh, no reason to think that we wouldn't be successful there. In the Senate, they had, uh, in the Senate State and Local Government Committee, there were a lot of questions. They wanted to kind of hold off for a minute mm -hmm. and have a study committee look at it. So hopefully that will be named and the uh, kind of outline of where we're gonna go from there will come out soon. Um, and while I'm talking, I'd like to also just go back and thank the sponsors again. They have been fantastic. This being uh, kind of pushed into government affairs director, thanks to Randy. Um, I, I just can't thank my, my house sponsor, uh, Representative Timothy uh, Hill from Upper East Tennessee. It was fantastic to work with and kind of um, pushed me, <laughs> held my hand and pushed me a few times. and. Uh, then their staff and his staff is fantastic too and our senate sponsor is um, uh, senator hensley from hohenwall and uh, uh, senator yeager chairman yeager uh, who represents a lot of state employees in the mid cumberland area when you say mid cumberland fantastic staff too to work with they've all really gotten behind us on this and i think it'd be interesting to have randy talk about what legislative intent means to the the body when they pass something well, again, the intent was just as uh, Mr. Slatterdy had stated it. it. It was that the burden would still be on the state once the prima facie case, to use a legal term, was made by the employees. So 
we just want to get back to what was intended. And, um, you know, we've got great documentation now. One of our members helped us get together great documentation, video of the hearings as it went through the legislative process. It's become very clear what the intent was. We just want to get back to the intent. Um, there was never any <clears throat> discussion that litigation would be the way the team act was changed and that's what they've chosen to do uh, we think eventually uh, the legislature will agree with us and we, we hope the administration we plan to meet mm -hmm. with the administration soon to re-articulate our position uh, we're uh, delighted that we got to meet re re recently with lieutenant uh, governor randy mcnally on that issue and some other issues and again articulate where we stand so I feel good about our prospects moving forward, I really do. But again, that takes our members communicating with their legislators, their state senator, their state representative about the burden of proof. You know, I had a member, uh, a TSEA member mentioned at one of our chapter meetings, well, you know, I don't have to use y'all that much because I don't get in much trouble, you know. Well, the simple fact is this burden of proof can set the tone for everybody's employment status. Um, if we let them continue down the road they're going on, literally, if you make one mistake, they believe you can be fired. Well, the Board of Appeals is there to review the entire record of a state employee, to look at their entire record and decide, is it appropriate for this person to be disciplined or dismissed based upon uh, the most recent complaint that's been made by the management? So. Um, I think it's dangerous if we don't stop the trend they're on now to make just a simple mistake a fireable offense. Right. And, and to that point, we have a case right now with DCS that they appealed, which, and we're in the Court of Appeals on that issue of how much is enough to uphold a termination. Again, uh, another uh, bite at the apple, if you will, of the uh, burden of proof issue. So we're pursuing it on all fronts. Well, and in that case that Jonathan references, and I know he's got to be careful what he can say about it because he's our legal counsel, but um, the chancellor who ruled in our favor actually said, what's the purpose of the Board of Appeals if you take the position that the DCS counsel has taken? So uh, I, I believe we're making good headway. And, you know, again, we need folks to communicate the importance of the burden of proof issue to their individual state senator and state representative. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, to that point, if you don't know who your representative or senators are on our website, um, on the homepage, there's a little section on the right-hand side that says, click here to find your legislators. And you just have to click there, enter your address, and, and uh, you'll have their contact information there. And you want to build a relationship with those uh, folks because that's helped us tremendously in the past, and it's going to help us in the future. Complicated issue, uh, a lot to cover, but it's really important. It's one of those issues where we've got to stay on it, and and state employees uh, do their best to educate themselves on, on what we're dealing with here, and, and hopefully we can push this forward. Um, we'll go ahead and dive into some of the questions here. Uh, we have a few questions submitted. Uh, our first question is from Mary Martin, and Mary asks, could you please comment on how TSEA can help get higher education employees on the governor's high demand list, and how, and also on TSEA's plans to continue to lobby for higher education employees? Now, Terry, you've been fairly active this last couple of months traveling the state, speaking with different folks in higher ed. I have been. I've been to several of the different Board of Trustees meetings. I, I, my intention is to try to get to all of them before the end of the year and session starts. So I went to uh, University of Memphis. 
the Board of Regents meeting, which still represent all of the community colleges and the TCATs, uh, Tennessee Tech, where else? Uh, Walter State, was that, that was one of those? Was that, that one of the, the ones you just mentioned? MTSU. MTSU. Yeah, so we still have TSU, and I'm going to the University of Tennessee board meeting in November, I believe it is. So I'm trying to get out there, and what's become really evident is each one of those individual institutions that were spun off from the Board of Regents have very different personalities, very different agendas, different pay problems that they're looking at as specific to the university, which they couldn't have looked at it that way when they were under the Board of Regents. So that's a positive. Um, the negative, I guess, is that they are each individual now, and it's very difficult to blanket something over them. Um, but they are, there are interesting things going on at each one that TSEA can be involved in. And uh, certainly one of the things I think we want to look at is making sure that members at those individual institutions know to call here when they get ready to retire, to call here when they have an insurance question. Um, any kind of disciplinary action that comes along, we have people who can find the answers for them that they can trust. And then you want to speak to some more higher ed stuff? Well, I do. Um, I, I think it is incumbent upon us to make sure that the governor understands the importance of all higher ed employees. Um, and it's important for him to understand that we've got competent state employees there. We don't need to be outsourcing any of the jobs at our higher education institutions. We're very successful in passing a bill that I think has blunted that movement towards privatization. So, uh, and then the issue is asked about lobbying on behalf of um, higher ed employees. Terry's correct. Each and every institution has its own set of rules, personnel rules, and therefore it's difficult for us to pass a bill that doesn't take away some rights that have already been achieved at an individual campus. So our strategy is to continue to go and meet with the personnel folks at each campus. We've done that. Uh, University of Memphis, Terry's visited there. We've had our other uh, staff members visit the University of Memphis to build a relationship with their personnel department. I've done that myself up at ETSU. So we're gonna continue to go to each campus Terry's got great connections at MTSU because he's an alum uh, of that institution. So each and every one of these uh, community colleges, we're visiting those campuses, and that's the most effective way for us to represent uh, higher ed employees. It's develop individual relationships between our staffs with our personnel staff. Now, it may be that legislation comes up, we need to address it, but we can't always measure our success by legislation. In fact. Legislation is our source of last resort. Um, we, we're at our best when we're building relationships with existing administration, both in central government and higher ed. So I'm excited. Uh, our higher ed membership is higher than it's been in at least a decade. Our records don't go back uh, <laughs> very far past that, to be honest with you, but we're at a record level with higher ed. And I, I think that's a statement that they've realized that we are making higher ed a priority at TSEA. And maybe what we should add is it could be more likely there would be some negative impact from legislation that we would have to be watching out for rather than something sweeping that would affect all of those different aspects. There could be something negative out there that we're not anticipating and so that's why you always need somebody to be on the hill for you 
that's, any group would tell you that. So that's that's one of the functions that we have to always watch out for too. Now, um, just as a side note, I know that um, with the recent hurricane that hit the Bahamas, uh, President McPhee was uh, impacted directly. He he lost his 24-year-old niece in Hurricane Dorian, and I believe uh, he went ahead and started the uh, support rate of relief fund. Mm -hmm. And I was reading about what they've been able to accomplish so far, and um, they've been able to collect more than 6,000 pounds of emergency supplies, uh, medicines, and necessities to help mm -hmm. the students of the families of MTSU who are enduring that aftermath. Um, if you'd like to support the Rate of Relief Fund, uh, you can text Rate of Relief to 41444, or you can visit mtsu.edu slash support rate of relief. And uh, we wish President McPhee and him, his family well. Um, we'll go ahead and move into some other questions here. Our second question comes to us from Todd Halliburton. And Todd wants to know, why were all of the civil service rights and pension taken away from TDOT employees a few years ago without a fight? Now, I, I think what Todd's referring to here uh, was the, were the sweeping changes from the TEAM Act back in 2012, which uh, replaced the civil service uh, laws. Um, and uh, in 2014, there were some changes to the pension plan, which we moved from a, a non-contributory plan to a contributory, mandatory contributory plan um, called the hybrid plan. Uh, now, looking at the pension for a second, that was sort of one of the first um, efforts by the Haslam administration to uh, make a change to a benefit which only affected employees who were hired on or after a certain date and um, and so that's kind of a challenge to fight something like that because you know we every employee that's currently employed is is not having any change uh, to their benefits uh, these would only be employees that don't realize they're working for Tennessee yet or don't know they'll be working for Tennessee. So, um, but to say that we didn't fight, um, speaking about the pension, you know, we had uh, Commissioner Lillard in this very room several times talking to our board. We went back and forth. We were able to get several changes made to the plan um, to improve it. And, um, you know, w with the question like saying if we fought, it's, it, it's important to remember um, how to approach these issues when we're dealing with a governor who was just elected um, with a supermajority at his back and he has an agenda he wants to see through and he's pushing that forward and basically it's it's downhill and we're fighting uphill and so um, you know we built these relationships the legislature that's what saved us that's what's uh, been able to get us a seat at the table and that's why like randy said earlier you've got to have a relationship with your senator with your representatives um that's that's the voice that's your voice the relationships we built on the hill and that's why we were able to have a conversation during the pension talks and have changed that into something that was a little better they still were able to create the hybrid plan we had presented a, an alternate plan but uh, that was uh, that was voted down, or actually, it didn't even receive a, uh, a vote. But um, but as far as the civil service goes, now that's a different story. Um, Jonathan, did you? Right, I, I had some thoughts on on that, Chris. And actually, let me start with the last part of that um, question. Right. Of um, without a, a fight, why didn't we stand up for the rights? And and I think um, first of all, I would say um, behind the scenes. We did, and, and that's one of the things that we're trying to do here is let our members know what happens behind the scenes with this. And it's easy to think of um, a fight 
if we have to use that term with with the uh, administration as a one and done okay here's here's the game we're going to fight win or lose and we go to the next one and we win or lose and it's not really that way at all from from our perspective but rather this is an ongoing series of negotiation there there was a beginning i am sure uh, at one point and there may be an end out there but as far as day to day it, there's a give and take there's a back and forth to it um, so that we have to, to um, as Chris and Randy have said, continually, and Terry, continually be working this. But specifically, this is how we approach the legislative session. Every single bill that comes down the pike that we see, we look at it, and the question is this. How does that bill affect state employees? Is it good for state employees? Is it bad for state employees? And that's how we approach every single bill, not only through the legislative session, but afterwards. We have quarterly meetings with the Department of Human Resources Commissioner and his staff, again, wanting to, to glean from them what, it, what are they doing with that central question in mind. How is this going to affect state employees? So we're going to have some fights out front and be uh, um, very uh, uh, open about it and publicize it like back when the team act was uh, in its stages of, of development 2012 from january to to may uh, we were putting out uh, a blast almost every week of here's what ha is happening but you have to realize that there's a lot that is happening behind the scenes as well again with the paramount question how is this affecting state employees um, the, the other part of that is um, why were all the civil service rights, t pardon me, taken away? And strictly speaking, civil service was abolished, and in its place was the TEAM Act. Did some of those rights come over? Yes. Were some of those rights uh, um, tinkered with so they would be more um, uh, uh, regressive? for state employees? Absolutely. We tried, it, we tried it at the time back in 2012 to kind of round off the sharp edges to make some changes, and, and we feel that we did. Um, again, an awful lot of that was behind the scenes, but we tried to publicize it and, and get it out, out there, and we continually do that as well. I would say in response to Todd's question, one of the main um, um, rights that carried forward was the at-will employment. We talked about that earlier, that preferred service employees uh, are not at-will. They can only be disciplined, terminated uh, for cause and with a multi-step appeal process. I would say an appeal process, as we uh, discussed, goes all the way to the Supreme Court. And we've got another appeal in the Court of Appeals right now. So we are constantly fighting then and, and, and we are now. And a lot of those same rights um, that we fought for are still on the books today. The hiring process, um, creating minimum standards, the performance evaluation, uh, completely re retooled, and of course the grievance process that we're continuing to work with. So, Todd, I appreciate your question. It's good to, to refresh to our members to get, uh, get uh, the full picture of what TSEA is doing for state employees. I didn't think about it at the time when I first read this question, but something else that Todd might be talking about is they were asked to, um, when they DOT had a massive reorganization and some kind of upgrading of titles and salaries. And one of the things I remember as a field rep at that time that they had to all apply for the new position. Mm -hmm. uh, employees and members took that as um, 
a little bit of a, a front to them because they had been doing the job. Um, so maybe that's what he's talking about too, is mm -hmm. they had to go through the application process again and um, to kind of give both sides of that story, the jobs were changed, they were retitled and they were upgraded. So they were asked to reapply for the new job, not for the old job. Um, kind of a hurdle that wasn't maybe wasn't planned out the best, um, but that was a tool that the previous administration used a lot. Hopefully, we won't see that as much in this one. But that could be what he's talking about too. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, there are a lot of back and forths during the team act. Going back to that question or that that discussion that Jonathan was mentioning. Um, you know, we we were in every meeting. We were uh, we had several meetings with the governor's staff, with the governor himself. Um, you know, I was there for many of those meetings, and you know, a lot of it were us just going through section by section of the Team Act. You know, there were and there's page after page after page of sections of the Team Act that we would go. You know, we're, we're opposed to this. This is why. Here's an amendment, or here's something else we could consider. And maybe we're not opposed to this, but we're opposed to this. And it's just, we went line by line through that entire team act over and over and over. And these discussions last for hours. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, again, Jonathan, I think you put it perfectly by saying we tried to round the sharp edges, you know. And that's what we were able to do. There were, there were a couple of interesting things we got out of that. You know, with the Board of Appeals, they were trying to make the Board of Appeals members at will. Um, and we were able to... Uh, uh, make it so they couldn't release the board of members uh, appeal members without cause mm -hmm. right so it's sort of the same thing uh, little things like that we were able to get along the way that that are helpful you know uh, down the road for state employees that may not seem like a big email blast but it's important you know um is anything else on this question well and again maybe we misinterpreted the question terry could be right but yeah I can assure you the TMAC was fought by TSEA. I wasn't at TSEA at the time, but I was on staff in the State House, and I can assure you it was a fight. And maybe even the best evidence is uh, Commissioner Hunter, who's now moved on, uh, made an appearance in Washington, D.C. in the last few months, and she talked about the fight that TSEA put up to the TMAC and about how she didn't get everything she wanted because of TSEA. So hmm. w without a doubt, the TMAC. Um, it's still somewhat onerous, I believe, <laughs> but it would have been a whole lot worse if it weren't for TSEA in, in the fight that they put up. Our next question comes to us from John Duff, and he asks, uh, he has a 22-year-old stepson getting ready to start college who lives in Oklahoma. Can he add his stepson to his health insurance? Terry, you used to uh, work once upon a time in compensation and benefits. Um, any thoughts for Mr. Duff? Yes. <laughs> this is a great, what appears to be a straightforward question. A lot of times we got these in, in the benefits and compensation area. But when you start looking at it, it's actually much more individual then a simple answer could be put forth here. Mm -hmm. So anytime you have a question like this that seems so simple, what, uh, if you call Gail, or when I worked in that position, if you call me, um, you start asking questions and the answer may change from what I would tell the member today. So I think Gail maybe has even been talking to him this morning and back and forth with Benefits Administration to make sure that 
every variable is taken into account to make sure that we get the member the right answer. Right. So I think that's a fantastic question that appears to have a straightforward answer, but when you start talking to the member, a lot of times something will come out in the conversation with those key questions that Gail always knows to ask. So anytime you have a question that deals with dependence, uh, health insurance, the Medicare supplement, any of those kind of things, I always call here. And, um, and I'd like to give kind of a plug to the uh, agency benefit coordinators too, who have a tremendous amount of training and we work really closely with them also. We know all of the independent group, uh, the, the ABCs that work with the departments and work really closely with them so, so that you get the answer mm -hmm. that you really need. Uh, Terry, if you could explain what an agency benefit coordinator is, I think that'll be helpful for the folks where they are. I believe each region has an agency benefit coordinator. It's a generated region. It's not going to come down to the individual work site. And that person should be known to all the employees, but maybe sometimes are not. So we'll make sure that you, the, yeah, if you need to get in touch with one, we can find them somehow or uh, call your HR people. Agency benefit coordinator. They are specifically trained, um, get multiple updates during the year. There's a conference call every week during this period of time where they're learning updates about all of the different benefits that are uh, available to state employees. So they're there. Make sure you use them. Um, and if you didn't know that, now you do. So. <laughs> and as with every question here, you know, if you, you can reach out to the office, uh, call us at 615-256-4533 or 1-800-251-8732 and ask to speak with someone in our compensation and benefits division. And that's the quickest way, uh, if you can't remember how to find your ABC coordinator or, or that. And another thing I would say, um, today is annual enrollment, uh, starts today, goes through October 11th for state and higher ed employees that are active. Um, and if you're retired, it goes through, through the 25th of October. But what I would say is that if you're going to make a decision, uh, you need to go ahead and try to make that in the next two weeks. Um, and then um, I guess that's pretty much everything we can offer them at this point. It's always the case that if you're going to make a change, you must go in to your Edison and make that change. If you don't want to make any change, don't do anything, and it'll just keep rolling exactly okay. as you had it this last year. Our next question uh, is, uh, how do I sign up for critical illness insurance? This comes from Josh Potter. Well, Federated Marketing, uh, we're going to reach out to them to get this answer. Uh, so we're going to hear from Ken at Federated Marketing. Hello, it's Ken with the TSEA Insurance answering a question for Josh. How do you sign up for the critical illness insurance? You call our office at 1-800-880-6542. Ask for Kim. She'll be more than happy to help you. We have an open enrollment on the critical illness until the end of the year. It covers all the pre-existing conditions immediately. And you can sign up for there by calling the office at 800-880-6542. Or you can go to federatedmarketing.com and you can uh, look at the information and the uh, rates for you and your family. And remember, if you have a question, it's hashtag AskTSEA. Have a great day. All right, so for our last question, this comes to us from Gail Wilder. And the question is, if I'm 60 years old and retire or lose my job after 15 years of service, can I retain my state health insurance? Uh, 
I think she can. Is that right, Terry? Yeah, there's some good news and some bad news for Gail. Okay. She can continue her insurance and carry her husband also. But when she retires, because of her years of service uh, being at 15, she's going to have to pay 40% of that premium instead of 20%, which she would have been able to get to if she had made it 30 years. Hmm. So you get a benefit as soon as you reach 10 years of service. But it, it increases the more years of service you have. All right. Well, thanks for your question, Gail, and thanks, everyone, for the questions. And uh, this is our second episode, and we're excited. Um, and just get those questions in. Remember, if you want to submit questions, go to our website and uh, click on the button that says Ask TSEA and submit your questions. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, everyone. Well, that's this month's episode of Ask TSEA. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to submit questions to our show, email those to asktsea at tseaonline.org or visit our website at tseaonline.org slash ask-tsea. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TSEA Online. That's all for this month. Have a great month. We'll see you next time.